Hello and welcome to Grace Life Duras. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello and welcome back to the Fearless series. This is teaching number four and we're going to speak about where is the safest place to be. If we could travel back in time, maybe a thousand years before Jesus came to Israel and ask someone random, where is the safest place to be? I do believe their answer would be a stronghold. Because a stronghold is a place, a structure to hide, find safety, and uh, it's a place where, where we are able to fight the enemy better. It's also something that is stronger than we are. Because one person in their own flesh cannot go against spears and swords because the flesh is not strong enough to not be damaged by them. But to hide in a place behind stone, that is different. So a stronghold is also something that is stronger, that can hide someone, where that someone can feel safe. Especially when that person's ability and power is insufficient to defend themselves. And we, in our human nature, we always want to feel safe, we always want to feel at peace, and we don't, don't really like danger. But what is greater, a physical or a spiritual stronghold? And that's what we're going to speak about today. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, there's a famous story about David and Goliath. Israelites came out to fight the Philistines. And one of the Philistines was a champion named Goliath. It is safe to assume that he never lost a battle. He was the triumph card of Philistine's army. He was proud and he wasn't shy to admit it. And Goliath challenged Israelites to find a man who would be able to stand against him. If someone won against Goliath, all Philistines would surrender and become slaves to Israelites. But if Israelites lost, they would have to become slaves of Philistines. And now how, how does the Israelites react to this challenge? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24, it's written, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, which means Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. So there you go, we encounter fear. No one was bold enough to stand against Goliath. And the stakes were so high that the king Saul offers one of his daughters an exemption from taxes to the one that goes and wins against Goliath. And then a shepherd boy comes on the scene. His name is David. He didn't come to join the army or fight or he didn't even have armor. He came with food and he was delivering that food to his older brothers who were in the army. 
After hearing the challenge that Goliath gave to Israelites and the reward that was promised in defeating him, he decided to go against Goliath. And everyone around him thought that David is out of his mind to be willing to fight against Goliath. No one was supporting him, no one was cheering him up, he was just a boy that was delivering food. He was not a warrior. Yet he manages to get to the king and then he speaks to the king from verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight, fight with this Philistine. So David, a shepherd boy, comes to the king who has an army and calms him down, saying, Hey, I will go and fight him. Don't worry about him. And let no man fear. <laughs> let no soldier fear. I will go and fight against this Philistine. I'm retelling this story to show the how big of a contrast there is between David and the army. The army is shaking in their boots because of fear, but the boy seems to have no doubt he can win. And later, long story short, he does win. He is able to convince king, the king. He goes, takes his slingshot, something he's used to, picks up two stones, I think two stones. He picks a couple of stones. He only needs one. Uh, he shoots one stone. Goliath falls down. He runs to Goliath, takes his sword, cuts his head off, and Israelite, Israelite army is victorious. I want to focus now on verse 37. David said to King Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I do believe this is the, the heart that, that David had, the deepest con that was causing him confidence. David's confidence was in God's ability to deliver. And deliverance in this sense doesn't only mean protection, but also means victory. David followed a simple logic. He prevailed against the bear, the lion. So this Philistine is not, is also going to go down because God is with him. Even though he's a bigger challenge, David has built up confidence in God's ability to deliver. Therefore, he was able to have peace when he was facing Goliath. And that turned out to be good, and he had victory. So confidence is a stronghold we can build in our minds. It's something we can be sure of, something that not, nothing and no one can prove us otherwise. And confidence makes us secure and it's also opposite of insecurity. And David had this confidence. No one was able to conv him, convince him otherwise. Even the king said that you are just but a youth. You're not able to fight someone who is trained to be a soldier from his youth. But because of David's confidence, 
he was able to convince the king and win against Goliath. David was not at least discouraged or insecure, but he was fully convinced that God was able to deliver him and give Israelites victory. When looking at the future, David saw victory that God is going to give them, but the army of Israelites saw their own defeat and that caused them fear. I don't know if you heard, but there's a famous quote that the greatest battles you will ever fight in your life are between your ears. That means in your mind. David's mind was, in David's mind, the victory was already there and he had confidence. And I do believe that fear is one of the most powerful tools the enemy uses to control people. When we are in danger, we have fear and we look for safety. And when we are looking for safety, we are, it's hard for us to think clear. Because if we are in danger, it means damage. It, it means we have to flee to protect ourselves. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it's written, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When we are in fear, we lose power and we become weak to the point where it's easy to control and manipulate us. Who gave the right to Goliath to dictate the rules in war? If all men from Israel swarmed up, he'd be dead. Now the fear gave him power to dictate the rules instead of needing to fight and instead of needing to fight the entire army, he only needed to win against one man. When we are in fear, it's hard to walk in love because in fear, survival instinct kicks in and makes us self-centered because we need to protect ourselves to avoid danger, to avoid something that uh, causes us fear. So we don't think of someone else in the first place. We think of ourselves. Also, we lose our sound mind. When there's fear, we make rash decisions that later make no sense. And at the worst of it all, the fear keeps us away from, from walking into our purpose, our calling, and even entering the promises of God. And this is probably the worst thing that fear does. If David got scared of Goliath, I don't know if we would have heard of him. Because fear destroys confidence, steals joy, and teaches that God is untrustworthy, weak, and unable to help. So fear teaches us what a wrong character of God. And one of the clearest examples is how Israelites, after they've been delivered from slavery in Egypt, <clears throat> after they saw the Red Sea split, after they saw uh, how God provided for them different types of food and water, they were still afraid to enter into the land because they thought God cannot give them victory because they felt like grasshoppers compared to the men that were walking in the land. 
So the fear was the reason they doubted God and ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. So God had to make the new generation who is not brainwashed by fear to equip them to walk into the promised land. Our flesh, because it's inherited from Adam, it's, it tends to think towards the negative. It naturally falls into anxiety, worry, and fear. But so many times, God says, do not fear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses from 3 to 4, it's written, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are called to renew our minds, to be obedient to the word of God. That's why we are asked to meditate on his word, for example, in Psalm 1 or Joshua 1.8, to meditate on his word day and night to think on what's good, what's above, not what's below. Colossians 3.3 3 and Philippians 4.8. And also we're called to renew our minds. It's written in Romans 12.1. <clears throat> but what does it mean to take every thought captive to obey Christ? In order to take a thought, to have it, you have to recognize it. There's an easy way to do it. Most of our emotions and what we feel are caused by thoughts. If we feel fear, we can trace it back to the thought that caused that fear. The thought that causes a particular fear will be also very specific. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, I wanted to go on a break. We, I had some time off and I wanted to leave Duris, the city I was living in, and go somewhere else to just withdraw from, from, from my home and from all the tasks that, that I have to do here. But I had anxiety because, uh, so I had anxiety. And then I asked myself, why do I feel afraid to go? And when I asked that, I realized that I'm worried to spend money on a hotel room, something that's unnecessary because I'm afraid to run out of finances before the end of the month. So this was the thought. I'm afraid to run out finances before the end of the month. Therefore, I have to save up. I shouldn't, uh, shouldn't spend on something unnecessary. So this was the thought that I took captive that was causing me fear. Not only that we are, have to take every thought captive to obey Christ, but now I want to focus on what does it mean for a thought to obey Christ. To put it simply, we obey when we listen and do something. So listening plus doing equals obedience. When we obey someone or something, we place ourselves below them and become servants of, of them. We either obey God or a stranger. 
For example, Adam and Eve obeyed the snake by listening to its words that said, you lack something that God does, did not give you everything, that there's something for you, something greater for you to have. So they listened to this and they did eat of the forbidden fruit. So by them listening and doing, they became obedient to the snake. So the snake became an authority, became their master. In Romans 6.16, 6, uh, Paul reminds us of this principle. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So back to my example. Does the thought that I will run out of finances before the end of the month agrees with God's word? No, because it states that I have to provide for myself by saving up when actually God is my provider. The thoughts, my money will run out, I will not have enough, I don't, if I don't save, were causing me fear. And at first, I, well, in general, I knew if I obey that thought, I need, if I do based on that thought, I will obey that thought and I'll, I'll start living based on that thought. It will become my master. So I had to go into God's word and to find how to change that thought that would agree with, with God's word. So I was reminded of Matthew 6, where Jesus said, do not worry about the things that the Gentiles are worried about to provide for yourself. And one verse stood out to me in a new way. It's Matthew 6, 32 that your heavenly father already knows all your needs. For the first time, I saw that Jesus was contrasting Gentiles who have no father with believers who have a father who knows all their needs and who provides for them. That's why we don't need to worry because we have the father who knows our needs and takes care of us. So I took that evil thought of running out of finances and changed it into a thought that God is my provider, that he is my father who knows my needs and who takes care of me. I exchanged the thought that came with fear with this new realization and I started to feel peace. Every time anxious thoughts came back up again, I changed them with this new revelation. So did I run out of money? No. A week after I came back, uh, someone ordered a product I make. Uh, they ordered in a bulk, which usually doesn't happen. And the profits of that order paid off my hotel stay entirely. And I didn't have to worry about it at all. So God was able to provide for me as I obeyed his word, not my worries. And it's true, we have to be good stewards uh, of our finances. We shouldn't spend on the things we shouldn't spend. Uh, but what I'm sharing is how fear can be a motivation for us to do, 
to obey something that is not based on God's character and is not based on his word. And that if we obey fear, we become slaves of fear, slaves of that thought that could be very damaging uh, and untrue if we compare it to God's word. And if we look back to David, his thoughts were also in obedience to God's word. This is what he later is in his life when he grows up, when he sees, after he sees more victories, this is what he declares. Second Samuel chapter 22 verses 2 and 3. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You saved me from violence. So this, I believe, what was always in his heart was, was, it was something that was established and something that David never had to doubt. Not only in his mind, but also he had enough experience to see that it always comes true. That he can be confident in God. And as you read Psalms, you can see that most of the Psalms that David wrote touches the the same topic. But in Psalm 91, David declares that God is his dwelling place. And this is a very, very beautiful image to have. If God was a dwelling place of safety in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, how much more what, what happens in the New Covenant? In the New Covenant, there is a new thing that we can... It's a new place, new place where we can dwell. And if you read uh, letters of Paul, you can see that Paul constantly refers to the statement in Christ. And this is the New Testament reality. Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, to receive Christ means to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. It also means to stand on his finished work for salvation and not on what we can do. There's never a time when we have to switch back and work to gain God's approval or to work for our salvation because our salvation always remains based on what Jesus has done. Paul summarized it well in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As we receive Jesus, so we walk in him and allow the truth of his finished work to build us up. And as we are growing deeper in this revelation and understanding what he did for us, we become stronger and our confidence grows. We build a new stronghold. The natural byproduct of this will be abundance of thanksgiving. 
And when you think about it, only when we feel safe, established at, and at peace, we can truly be grateful. Later, Paul continues in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, in Christ, you have been made complete, and he is the head over every ruler and authority. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you identified with him. From that moment when you placed your trust in Jesus, you are placed in Christ and given the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 This makes you complete in Him, not complete in yourself, but in Him. Some other translations translate the word complete as perfect or filled up, and that still means in Christ. And all three of those meanings are correct. We are like a small cup dropped in a big barrel of water. The cup is full, but also in a full barrel. So in the same way, we are in Christ and He is in us. And because of His completion, because of His perfection, that perfection is also in us as we identify with Him. And this is my point. This makes Christ the perfect stronghold of safety. In Him, there is nothing missing, there is no lack, we have complete forgiveness, we have righteousness and acceptance. Above it all, God the Father loves us with the same kind of love that He loves Jesus. You might say, hey, but I don't deserve that. And it's true, we don't deserve it, but it's not based on our achievements, but based on what Jesus has done on the cross. And if you don't believe me, turn to John 17, 23, where Jesus was praying before uh, being crucified. He said, I in them. So, see, Jesus says that he is in us, I in them, and you, the Father, in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I, I'm going to repeat. And you loved them even as you loved me. And this is the perfect love that casts out fear that we've been speaking in this series for so long from 1 John 4.18. There is no more perfect love than the love that God the Father has for Jesus, right? So, in the beginning, I asked if a physical stronghold is, stronghold is stronger than a spiritual one. I hope that now you can see that the spiritual one is much more stronger. It's supreme. David had a spiritual stronghold in his mind, knowing and being fully convinced that God in, is his place of safety, and it, it is God who delivers him. As a result, he was able to not only protect the sheep when against sheep against the greatest sheep when they needed help, uh, when when animals were attacking them, 
but also he was able to win, win against the greatest warrior that the Philistines had in their ranks. He wasn't physically safe. David wasn't safe physically. But his mind was safe in the confidence that he had placed in God. The same and greater is with us in the new covenant. We are placed in Christ. There is no safer place than being in God. Because God is way greater than anyone else. We can feel peace and we, we are not in danger. And in him we have everything that we need for life and godliness. As it's written in 1 Peter 1.3. And in Christ we are more than conquerors. Romans 8.37. And in Christ we are protected, established and safe. Now to have peace that surpasses all knowledge and understanding is not such a far-fetched idea, right? And for this week, I'd like to give you this challenge. When you go on with your day, recognize when you sense fear. Trace it back to a thought that causes this fear and anxiety and make it as specific as you can. And as you recognize that and take a hold of that specific thought, find a scripture, a statement uh, that conquers that thought and change it into that thought. Meditate and think about that scripture that agrees with God's word to change that negative thought that causes you fear. Also, it's very useful to imagine practically working, practically that uh, new thought working out in your life. And be aware how this new thought changes your behavior, decisions, and emotions. And see how much confidence you can have and what victories God can bring when you change your mind. So, Father, thank you for each person that made it through all this teaching. Uh, thank you, Father, that you love them with the perfect love that you love Jesus with. Thank you that in Christ we have perfect peace. We are completely safe from any danger. That we are complete, that we are surrounded by you, that we are protected by you, that we are accepted by you, that we have no lack, that you provide us with everything that we need. And if we lack wisdom, you're always willing to give. So thank you, Father, for each person. Thank you for wisdom in understanding to grow in this revelation, what it means to be complete, filled up and perfect in Christ. I thank you that you have called us to experience peace that surpasses all understanding and all knowledge. That as we walk in confidence, we can see your victories coming to pass and we can walk out our calling, our purpose, and we can walk into the promises that you have given us without any fear. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness and for who you are. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Duras area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.